This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. One of my favorite movies of all time is Back to the Future. It was one of those movies growing up that whenever it was on like TBS, I would have to watch the whole thing. Now, it was the top selling movie in 1985. And so some of you maybe aren't familiar with the movie Back to the Future. So let me tell you the storyline. It's a story about Marty McFly, played by Michael J. Fox. And he's a senior in high school in 1985. And we get a picture of his family and the family is a complete mess. His mother is an alcoholic, his brother and sister at dead-end jobs, and his dad, well, he's a chump. His dad's getting pushed around still by Biff, who's been his bully for the last 30 years since high school. But Marty McFly has got this friend, uh, Doc, who's kind of this mad scientist who has discovered the flux capacitor, the ability for time travel, and he puts it in a DeLorean car. And Marty finds himself in that car. He goes back 30 years to 1955. He meets his father when his father was in high school, and he encourages his father to stand up to the bully Biff. And he does. And that one event changed the trajectory of their family because now when Marty goes back to 1985, the family is no longer a mess. His mother's not drinking anymore. His brother and sister have these great jobs. And most of all, his dad is a writer, no longer getting pushed around by Biff. In fact, Biff is outside washing his father's car. I love that movie because I always wanted a time machine. I wanted the ability to go back in time. And and I thought maybe if I could just go back in time, I could fix some of those events in my past. And I thought if I could just go back in time, maybe my life wouldn't be such a mess right now. Maybe my family wouldn't be such a mess. And I wish I could say that this was just a passing thought every once in a while. But there have been times in my life where I've just been obsessed with my past fixated on my past, trying to fix everything in the past, thinking if I could just fix the past, everything would be perfect today. It'd all be put back together, just like the McFly family. Do you ever find yourself doing that? We're finishing up our sermon series called Messy Families. And so in this sermon series called Messy Families, we've had to acknowledge that all of our families are kind of a mess. And our families are a mess for different reasons. Uh, Maybe for you, it's because there is strife in the family. There's arguing between you and your spouse or you and your children. Maybe it's messy because there's all this financial problems. You got all this debt hanging over your shoulders and not really sure what's going to happen at work. That's causing a lot of messiness in the family. Maybe you've gone through a divorce and, and the pain of that divorce continues to linger today. Maybe there's abuse or other problems or maybe the children have walked away from the faith or walked away from you and you don't know if they're ever going to come back. So it's messy. And so you think, if I just had that time machine, if I could just go back and change the things that happened in the past, maybe my life wouldn't be so messy today. Maybe my family would be put together. But Back to the Future is just a movie. And there's no such thing as the flux capacitor 
There's no time machine. You can't go back. You can't change the past. You can't change the things that happened to you or the things that you did. You can't untangle the past. And when you really understand that there is no time machine, man, sometimes you feel like, well, then there's no hope. If I can't go back and fix the past, why would I ever be able to move forward? In fact, that is the question I want to answer today. If we can't go back and fix our families, can we really move forward? And to answer that question, we're going to go back to the book of Genesis. Now, we've looked at the book of Genesis throughout this sermon series, Messy Families. And I just want to show you one more time the family tree of all these families that we've been talking about. Uh, the, the chosen family of Abraham. Abraham, God's chosen representative. And remember what happened in his messy family? He was promised his children and, and he never, it wasn't coming the way he wanted. And so him and Sarah had this plan that maybe he would sleep with Hagar, her maidservant, and thought that would clear up the mess and made it messier, made a, big of a bigger problem. Then Abraham had a favorite son. They had another child. He had his favorite son, Isaac. And that created all sorts of problems. Then Isaac followed his father's way, and he had a favorite son, Esau. And because he had a favorite son, Esau, Jacob tried to get the favor of their father through deception and deceived his father and deceived his brother. What a mess. And then Jacob was deceived. Jacob was deceived as he married two women. He was deceived by his uncle Laban. And then he favored one wife over the next, Rachel. And through marrying Rachel and Leah and also sleeping with their maidservants, they had 12 sons, which would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And today we want to focus on Jacob's son from Rachel, Joseph. In fact, the book of Genesis focuses on the story of Joseph. Basically, almost half of the book of Genesis is devoted to Joseph from chapter 37 through 50. And I'm not going to be able to go into all the detail of Joseph's story, but I'm going to try to highlight parts of it so that we can answer our question. If I can't go back, can I really move forward? So let's go to Genesis chapter 37, and we're going to get three short stories about Joseph. And he's going to give us kind of a character profile of Joseph. Each, sent, or each story is about one sentence long. Here's the first story about Joseph. Joseph or Genesis 37 verse 2. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. What does this one sentence tell us about Joseph as a teenager? And at 17 years old, he was a tattletale, right? So you see Joseph the tattletale. Now the next story, uh, it says, now Israel, remember God changed Jacob's name to Israel. So this is the story of Jacob. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. He made an ornate robe for him. This sounds like a broken record, doesn't it? Abraham had a favorite son, Isaac. Isaac had a favorite son, Esau. Jacob had a favorite wife, Rachel. And now she ha he has a favorite son born of his favorite wife. And this never ends well. 
And Jacob is not even subtle about it. He makes this ornate robe to make sure everybody knows this one is daddy's favorite. So not only is this 17-year-old boy a tattletale, a brat tattletale, he's daddy's favorite. Third story. Joseph has these prophetic dreams from God and he tells his brothers about these prophetic dreams. He says to his brothers, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Then he has another dream about 11 stars, also representing his 11 brothers, and then the sun and moon bowing down to his star. Now here's a tip. If God gives you a prophetic dream about your brothers and your father and mother bowing down to you, keep it to yourself. (laughs) No one wants to hear about how your brothers are going to bow down to you someday. That's not going to be helpful for anybody. Keep it to yourself. But Joseph didn't follow that wise advice. He he talked about it. So we get kind of a a quick portrayal of his uh, his character in these three stories. He's a teenage brat, tattletale, daddy's favorite, and he's full of himself. And his brothers have had enough of this. And they make this plan to get rid of him. And so one day when his brothers are off tending their flocks, uh, Jacob tells Joseph, hey, go check on your brothers, see how they're doing. And as Joseph approaches them, they say to one another, oh, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him and say that a wild animal has taken him and will throw his body into a cistern and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Well, they do throw him into a cistern, but instead of killing him, they find a a group of Ishmaelites that are going by, sons of Abraham, Ishmaelites, and they sell Joseph into slavery and he becomes a slave. Then they take his ornate robe, they splash it with blood, they show it to their father and said, a wild animal must have killed your son. Now, this whole event maybe took a day, but this one day, this one event totally changed the trajectory of their family, and they couldn't get it back. What was done was done. There was no time machine. There was no going back. And now, Jacob would mourn for the next few decades the loss of his favorite son. He would be in complete grief. The brothers would be filled with guilt and shame for the next few decades. And it wasn't going to go much better for Joseph. He became a slave in Egypt in a house of a man named Potiphar. And he did everything he could to follow the Lord. And yet he was still falsely accused of sexual harassment. And he went from slavery to prison. And through a strange series of events... Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, finds out that there's this prisoner named Joseph who can interpret dreams. And he tells him this strange dream that he has. And the Lord gives Joseph the interpretation. He says, Pharaoh, God is telling you in your dream that there are going to be seven years of abundance. 
followed by seven years of famine. And so in these next seven years, you need to pile up as much grain as you can and then be ready to distribute it during the years of famine. And, and Pharaoh is pleased with Joseph's wisdom and his ability. And so he takes him out of prison, puts him in second in command in Egypt, and he has authority over the Egyptian economy to gather in the grain and then to distribute it. Well, just like Joseph says, there's seven years of plenty. And then the famine hits. And it hits not just Egypt, but really the whole known world. And guess, guess who goes looking for food? Joseph's brothers. They show up. Now 20 years have passed, and he's about 37 years old. And his brothers show up in Egypt, and they don't recognize him at first. But he recognizes them. And so he puts his brothers through a series of tests to see if God has been at work in their life, see if there's any change of heart. You know, he doesn't want to enable bad behavior. You know, there's messiness in our family. We don't want to enable bad behavior. We don't want to give in to, to a bad direction. And so he, he just tests them to see, has God been at work in their life? And they pass the test. They, they feel remorse. They feel guilt. And they look for grace. And because they passed all those tests and they're looking for grace, Joseph reveals himself. He says this. I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold in Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Wow. Mic drop, right? Incredible. And what we see in these lines is not only... Have the brothers changed over 20 years, but Joseph's changed. God has been at work through all of the suffering and all the things that he experienced. This Joseph is not the same old brat. He's not the tattletale. He's not daddy's little favorite. He's not arrogant. He's humble. He looks to the Lord and he says, God sent me here. Not you. He goes on to say that. He says, verse 7, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. God sent me here. He said that you were going to bow down to me. And look at you have bowed down to me so that we could save lives. And he sums up everything in verse 8. He says, so then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. What a mature Wonderful way to look at the history. Joseph was not trying to go backwards. He was not trying to recreate the past. He was able to move forward. And it seems like a, hap, a, a, a happy ever after. They, they actually, they go back to Canaan. They pick up their father, Jacob. They bring it to Egypt. They all live, it seems, happily ever after in Egypt. But then after a little while, their father, Jacob, dies. And it triggers all the guilt from the past and the brothers. The brothers are just racked with guilt. It all comes back to them. Uh, and, and so uh, they say this to each other. What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? I've mentioned this book to you before. Uh, the Body Keeps the Score by Bezel van der Kolk. In this book, he talks about how, especially with people who've suffered trauma or, or PTSD or, or grief or shame, that there can be this trigger and your whole body feels it again. 
your whole body re-experiences your past. And it seems like that what was going on for the brothers. In that moment when their father dies, all of a sudden their whole body remembers what had happened. And they relive all the, the things that they did to their brother. And the guilt and the shame come over them once again and they can't move forward. And they, in fact, they send this message to Joseph. They say, uh, hey, Joseph, before our father died, he gave us this instructions that you should really forgive us for all the wrong that we did to you. And they they fall down uh, before him and they say, we are your slaves. And in that moment, Joseph had all the power to say, you're right, you're my slave. You're right, you're slaves. In fact, you know what? I think you should have a taste of your own medicine. I'm going to put you into slavery and I'm going to let you feel what it feels like to be in slavery for 10 years. And then after slavery, you know what? I'm going to make you feel what it feels like to be in prison for 10 years. And then we can talk. Joseph could have lived in the past, lived in the anger and the rage and the revenge of the past and tried to get them back. He could have lived out all the hurt and the grief and tried to recreate the past. He could have done that, but instead he says this. At the end of Genesis, the last chapter of the book of Genesis, he says to his brothers, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. Now these words, man, they set me free this last week. They are so good. In these words, we see how Joseph was able to Move forward, to not get stuck in the past, not get fixated on the past and move forward. In these words, we will find the answer to our original question. If I can't go back and fix my family, how can I move forward? And so I want to walk through these words, verse by verse, word by word, and see what God has to say to us. Joseph, first of all, says to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? In other words, he's saying, I'm going to avoid God's seat, God's throne, I'm not going to judge you guys. I'm not going to judge you because it's too messy. I don't know what was going on in your heart. I don't know what was going on in my heart. I don't know what judgment or punishment you deserve. I don't know what I deserve. I don't have the credentials, the, 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 the vision, the ability to judge you the way you need to be judged. I'm not going to judge. I'm going to let God be the judge. It's too messy. And that's what we need to do. Makes me think of of fishing when I was a young boy. We didn't get much fishing done. Because almost every time I would cast, I would either uh, get snagged on a branch or I would get get a knot in my line. And then I would spend the next 15 minutes trying to untie this knot in my line. And finally, I would just hand the pole over to my father and say, this knot's too hard for me. You got to deal with this. And that's what we need to do. When we really look at the mess of our family and maybe the wrong that was done to us or the wrong we did to other people or all the bad decisions we made or other people made, we just don't know who needs to be, who's guilty, who's right, who's wrong. We have to give it over to God and let him be the judge. And he is a good judge. He's a gracious judge. 
For everyone who repents and trusts in Jesus, they receive forgiveness and a new life. And for those who continue to be obstinate, to continue to push God away, they will have to answer for what they've done. But you don't need to take God's seat. You don't need to be the judge. You can follow what Joseph said. Am I in the place of God? Then the next thing he says, you planned evil against me. He doesn't minimize what they did. You guys sold me into slavery. Who does that, right? You did evil. That was bad. There's nothing good about that. There's nothing okay with that. That was wrong. That was evil. Then he goes on. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. But God is bigger than your evil. God said that you would bow down to me, that I'd be in Egypt, and guess what? I'm in Egypt, and you're bowing down, and I'm in power here to save many lives. Uh, You plan evil, but God's plans are bigger than our evil. Uh, He was not surprised by the things that you did. He was not surprised by any of it. He had a plan, and he was going to fulfill his plan no matter what you did. And we need to learn to talk and think and look at life the way Joseph did. To be able to say that, that, yes, God has decided to give us quite a bit of freedom. If God would stop every evil action, if God would get rid of all the evil people, then who would be left? And what could we really do? Because how many things that we do, even on our best days, are tainted or mixed with evil intentions. If God didn't give us some freedom, then what would we be able to do at all? So God has decided to, to allow us to make certain decisions, but, but here's the good news. No matter how messy it gets, no matter how bad it is, God's still in control. He gets the final word. His plans are still going to happen. God is still going to fulfill his plans. And both of those are happening at the same time. It makes me think of jujitsu. I don't know if you're familiar with jujitsu. I don't do jujitsu, but I have a friend who does. And he says it's kind of a mixture between wrestling and martial arts. And the thing that's different about jujitsu is you do things in there you would never do in wrestling. In jujitsu, sometimes you willfully put yourself on your back in kind of a weak position as a way to lure in your opponent. And then when your opponent comes after you, You use their aggression. You use their attack and you turn their weight on them and you put them in the hold. And I I think that's what God does. He lets himself be put in a vulnerable position. He lures evil into himself and then he turns it around and overcomes. Now, maybe you're thinking, but my family's too far gone. My family's too messy. We've made too many bad decisions. Too many bad decisions have done towards me. It's too messy. There's no way to untangle this mess. Not even God can untangle this mess. Think about that for a moment. Not even God, we think, can untangle this mess. If that's how you feel, then I want you to think again of all the stories of Genesis. 
Abraham, the father of our faith, sleeping with Hagar after he lies that his wife is his sister. And then he has a favorite son, Isaac, over Ishmael. And then Isaac has a favorite son, Esau, over Jacob. And then Jacob tries to win the favor of his father by deceiving his father and his brother and has to go on, on a run, run away. And then Jacob is deceived by his uncle Laban to marry both of his daughters, Rachel and Leah. And then he not only marries them, but then he sleeps with their maidservants so that they would have 12 children, which would become the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, this is a total mess. And, and then the whole story of Joseph being sold into slavery by his own brothers. And God says, it's through this family that I'm going to bring the Savior into the world. It's through this family that I'm going to change everything. Speaking of that Savior, think about his story. He's betrayed by his closest followers. Judas sells him basically like Joseph was sold into slavery for a few pieces of silver. He was denied by his very close disciple, Peter, that Peter even knew who he was. And then the religious leaders who were supposed to be the family of God, supposed to be the people supporting Jesus, falsely accuse him, trump up some charges against him, and hand him over to the Romans, not just to be imprisoned, not just to be in slavery, but to be hung in the worst way possible, hung up on a cross. In fact, the word excruciating was invented because of the cross. That's what it means. Excruciate means to be crucified. And you look at this and you say, there's no way that anything good can come out of this except God uses the worst thing imaginable, the cross, to save you, to save me, to bring us back to God, to redeem you, to buy you back, to cleanse you of all your sins. And he proves that by coming out of the grave. So if you think God's arm is too short, that he doesn't, he's not wise enough to untangle your mess, look to the cross. In fact, all of this is teaching us one beautiful message. God's in charge. God's in charge. And that's our first fill in the blank. God's in charge. And if God's in charge, well, that changes everything. We can begin to live in the now. And that leads us to the last thing that Joseph said. The last thing that Joseph said to his brothers, he said, therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And, and literally it means now, don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. Our best days are yet to come. It's going to be okay. And in a way, Joseph is standing in the place of God saying, I'm going to take care of you. It's going to be okay. You're not going to have to answer for the things you did. I forgive you. Now live in the present. You don't need to go back anymore. You don't need to go to the past. It's going to be okay. And that really brings us to our final application. I was thinking of how I could boil all this down into one application, one takeaway, something that you could chew on for the rest of the week. And it made me think of something that happened in my childhood. I remember I was about seven, eight years old and we went into a Christian bookstore. And on the way out, my mom bought this little button, kind of magnet thing at probably 50 cents. And at first we didn't think much of it and she put it on our fridge. And for the next, I don't know, decades, Lots of things went up and down off that fridge, but 
that magnet stayed on the fridge. And then about 15 years ago, they moved from Summers, Wisconsin up to New Berlin. And the house was different. The fridge was different. The life was different. And yet they still put that magnet up on the fridge. And then recently they moved to Baraboo. And I asked my mom, do you still have that magnet? She said, yeah, I still got that magnet. It was this pink little button. It said, relax, God's in charge. Now, it seems like a trite saying, but man, we leaned on that magnet. We leaned on that when my father lost his job and, and the only job opportunity seemed to be out in Boston. And we were about to uproot our family, go away from all of our support system, all of our network, everything that we knew to be home. And we were so close and we were about to move off to Boston. And we looked at that magnet again and said, relax, God's in charge. And my parents had to continue to look at that magnet when they raised two teenage boys, my brother and I, two smelly teenagers who were always fighting against each other, right? And she had to look again and say, relax, God's in charge. And then my father, right before his 50th birthday, was in a catastrophic motorcycle accident, broke tons of his ribs, fractured his skull, his brain stem was bleeding, shattered his pelvis, shattered his hand, And he was in a nursing home for months later. And we just had to look again at that maiden and said, relax, God's in charge. And now as a father leading a family and seeing all the mess, I have to hold on to that same thing. Relax, God's in charge. And it's true. And so that's our take-home point. Relax, God's in charge. It might sound like a, a trite phrase, But if it's true that God is in control, that that your mess and my mess and our bad decisions and your bad decisions and all the things that have led up today um, don't overcome what God's plans are, if God is still in control, if God's plans are still going to happen, then you can relax right now and move forward. You don't need to fixate on the past. You don't need to fix the past. You don't need to live in the past. You can live right now and move forward. God's in charge. Back to the Future is still my favorite movie. In fact, after thinking about it so much this week, I think I'm going to have to watch it again. It's been a while since I've seen it. I love that movie, but it's just a movie. There's no flux capacitor. There's no time machine. There's no going back. And here's the good news. You don't have to. Even if somehow I could put a time machine right here in front of you and give it to you and give you the ability to go back, you wouldn't need it. Because God is with you right now. And if God is with you right now, that's all that you need. And so relax. God's in charge. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, as we look back, there's so much mess. There's so many bad decisions that we made, so much hurt, so many problems, so many things that have been done to us. And we can fixate on our past and try to fix our past, but there's no going back. But Lord God, we don't need to go back. We need to know that you're still here. Overcome all of the evil with good Let your plan still be fulfilled. Good plans for us. Let us look to the cross and your forgiveness and your power and all of your goodness. 
And Lord God, let every one of us leave here in peace. Lead us to relax, confident that you're in charge. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.